I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'm also a daughter that's uh, mother was on this journey for 30 years, and God bless her. She taught me so much. Um, for those of you that are new to our show, I'm just going to do a real brief introduction because we're always getting new listeners. Uh, bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We also help companies expand their brand and their footprint by leveraging our content to help increase um, access to their products, services, and tools to those in need. And boy, I know what that was like when we were a family in need. I also want to thank our audience for your loyalty um, and your time commitment um, in terms of sharing the content that we generate here on our on our radio show, on our blog, our YouTube channel, our website, um, even at our conferences. We truly believe that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know that it's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, and your shares are having a powerful, powerful impact in terms of spreading resources to those in need. And those few seconds that you take um, have made just a huge difference to us as a community. And I share that with all of you as well. Um, it got us recognized by Oprah as a health hero for 2018 by Maria Shriver as an architect of change and uh, by Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online. And this would not have happened with you. So I owe you each a big hug out there and um, thank you for being part of our community and help raising the voice and raising awareness of dementia. I'd also last just like to invite each of you to be a guest on our show. Um, every now and then we do open mic um, where you are more than welcome to call in or any show you can also call in at 323 870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. And join the conversation. Uh, last, you know, maybe you are will be a guest um, and we'll feature you on the show. So reach out to me. There's a big contact button uh, on alzheimerspeaks.com or you can message me through the radio show here as well. Before I uh, introduce our guest today, I'm just going to give a shout out to a couple of companies. One is the Women's Alzheimer's Movement and Move for Minds with Maria Schreiber. If you haven't heard about it, um, Google it or just go to the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org. She is just doing incredible things um, in this space. 
and and also just in the space of positivity and and change and being so authentic. So check her out, and then also the um, uh, American Senior Magazine has great content, large print, and it's just a wonderful wonderful publication that comes out and you can go to the American senior magazine.com or again go to alzheimerspeaks.com on our homepage and you'll see an ad there where you'll be able to get a discount um, third I'm just going to yell out to the purple T- table reservations they're doing some really cool work in terms of trying to get restaurants on board to be dementia friendly um, and also to work with with others in need, those that are struggling with post-traumatic stress or autism. There's so many others that have similar needs when they go out into their community. So check out purpletables.com, and um, you'll be able to see more of what they're doing. If you're a restaurant owner or if you know of one, um, touch base with them because the training is fairly easy to do, but it makes just such a huge huge difference uh, for for your patrons. Well, let's get to why we're here today. I am so excited to have uh, Dr. Paul Nussbaum back with us. Um, he is an international leader in brain health and brain health lifestyles. He is uh, He's a guy who's been out there really living this thing for 30 years and caring for adults and older persons suffering from dementia and head injuries and um, neuropsychotic disorders. He's a board certified clinical psychology, uh, board certified in clinical psychology and uh, Jerry psychology with a specialization in neuropsychology. He is also the founder of the Brain Health Center that provides independent medical examinations, neuropsych assessments, and case management for those suffering neurological or uh, neurobehavior disorders. The center also serves really as an epicenter for Dr. Nesbaum's brain health lifestyles, which we're really going to talk about today. He has been published in peer review uh, magazines and books and chapters um, within the scientific communities. He's also served on editorial boards for scientific um, and clinical journals. And he's written two books. In uh, 2010, he wrote the book, Save Your Brain, um, and that was named top five in the brain fitness by ARP. And then in 2016, he wrote, What is the Purpose of My Brain? Spiritual Healing and Salvation. And it's really about, um, it, it's really a thought-provoking read on your higher power and the brain itself. Uh, I believe Dr. Nussbaum really serves as a wonderful face um, of brain health. And he, he does this, you know, publicly. He does it through uh, companies and organizations being a bridge to the scientific world to kind of common sense implementation. So, again, thrilled to have you back with us, Dr. Nussbaum. How are you today? Hey, Laurie. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show, and um, congratulations on all the good work uh, with Alzheimer's Speaks. 
Well, thank you. We're we're all doing it together. That's for sure. Um, first question I, I always ask everybody, and I know I've had you on a couple of times, but I'm going to ask it again because we've got some new listeners. And that is, have you been personally touched um, with family or friends uh, with dementia? Sure, both uh, family and and friends, and then um, <clears throat> you know professionally over um, oh goodness, thirty years. Um, you know, thousands of individuals uh, suffering dementia of the Alzheimer's type and, and really um, learning uh, from their stories and the family stories. So uh, it clearly has uh, has impacted and affected me. Okay, great. I, I want to start out today because I really want to focus on brain health. There's so much yipper-yapper out there, but what the heck really does that mean? Brain health. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great question, and um, it certainly is on the radar screen, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. So, it, it, for all, for all the listeners, um, it's important to understand that uh, you know, in my opinion, the single greatest, most magnificent miracle ever designed sits right between our ears, right? And um, I always have fun with people. If you want to have a good, conver- fun conversation about um, mobility, my goodness, what a what a great device we have right in our. Uh, it is the real wireless uh, tool out there. Um, and, and what we've learned is that um, this beautiful system that really serves as our identity and origin of every thought and emotion and movement and creation and imagination um, has the ability to be shaped. And we've learned that from the animal model. Now it's um, bridged over into the human uh, model, the human brain. So everybody out there understand that not only is this the most complicated system ever designed, but it, we have it right within our grasp and our our opportunity to shape this brain and that's that's it can be shaped for a number of things Lori. it can be shaped for disease it can be shaped for violence but today we're talking about how it can be shaped for health and so think about brain health as a dynamic process in which the environmental input is critically important and that which we choose to expose our brains to is critically important so there's this wonderful marriage between ourself and uh, the environment and uh, when we place our brain into environments that are stimulating we can actually shape our brain for health all across the lifespan and that's the exciting thing about brain health now the important thing that you and I are going to talk about today is you know how that happens physiologically but but the audience is going to be real interested in understanding okay if that's true what do I need to do practically each and every day because I'm interested in shaping my brain for health mm-hmm Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's the big pitfall. It's like you get all this information and then now what? Yeah. You know, where do I go? Right. How do I find this? And um, and you've made it nice and nice and easy for people. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, the evolution process of brain health? Um, you know, this is something I, I personally don't think was even talked about years ago. You know, we talked about the heart and we talked about all our other organs. Um, but mm-hmm. the brain, we really in my mind, um, really haven't talked about, or even when you go to the doctor, you know, there's not a test for this. So they'll check to see, you know, are, are you are you lonely or are you depressed and those types of things, or have you been abused? But they don't really talk about the function of the brain. Um, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it's happening and just not at my clinic. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. There's um, uh, there's a talk I gave not too long ago about the evolution of brain health, and I think there's a really interesting story there because you're, you're exactly right. And we're not the first. The way I like to say it is, we're not the first civilization to be kind of stupid with this. Um, 
the Egyptians, for example, used to bury the royalty um, with the, all the all the organs gone, but one. They left the heart and the body because they viewed the heart as the center of the universe. And in the United States of America, we're really not that different today. And when you think about it, uh, it wasn't too long ago we celebrated a thing called Valentine's Day. And as I like to tell people, I'm a I've got some OC features. I really like to look at human behavior. And if you paid attention on that day, you probably saw a lot of guys and gals walking around with boxes and the color was red and they were shaped like a heart and inside the box was a bunch of chocolate and you know when we go to a restaurant we'll see um, um, little icons on the side of the foods listed on the menu that have a little red heart and and we've done these things um, in a good way but we've given meaning to the heart it really never deserved. It's important to understand that the the focus and the the center, the epicenter of our identity is um, is the brain. It's where we love. It's where we emote. It's where we grieve. It's where we have joy. And all the emotions we think about really come from um, the brain in addition to all the thinking. So it, it was well known back in the 1950s, Laurie, that uh, when you place rodents in an environment where there was other rodents, uh, where that rodent has the ability to walk fast on a wheel and where there are toys placed in that rodent's environment, compared to rodents raised in isolation without those things, that rodent raised in what was called an enriched environment had um, uh, a larger hippocampus, which is the structure in the brain so critical to new learning. Uh, it's the structure that gets hit early by Alzheimer's disease, why, which is why a person with Alzheimer's can't learn new information. Uh, but also the size of their brains were, were larger than those rodents raised in um, isolation. So when you think about that, what you really have is an animal model uh, where apparently physical activity and socialization uh, and mental stimulation are very, very important. And it really wasn't until 1998 uh, where a paper was published that showed that the human brain can actually generate new brain cells. We call that neurogenesis is the fancy word. If you don't like that, it just means the ability to generate new brain cells. And interestingly, we found that it was the hippocampus, same structure I just mentioned, where we learn, Um, which is the primary site for the development of new brain cells in the human brain. And so um, it was Marion Diamond, who was a real hero of mine, who recently passed, and PBS actually did a story on her called Our Love Affair with the Brain, uh, who did really the pioneering work with the rodent model. And she gave a keynote address at the American Society on Aging, and I was either fortunate or unfortunate to be the guy next year to to go after her, which is not an easy thing to do. But what, what I did with my talk was, was to bridge uh, her work, uh, which was brilliant, to trying to get everybody to understand that what we learned from her work with the rodent model could really be bridged to the to the human model. And that's where I, I branded my uh, lifestyle, which was I took, um, you know, the socialization, physical activity, and mental stimulation, and I added in spirituality and nutrition and said, here we have a lifestyle blueprint. You know, may not be perfect, but it's a path for humans to think about what, um, how they can organize their day and what they can do a little bit each and every day within those five pillars of brain health um, to, to shape their brain for health. And so that really began, uh, I wrote a book called um, Brain Health and Wellness in 2003, which was really a research bridging of the rodent model to the human brain. And from that then had continued my work to today, teaching people about how um, this thing called brain health works, what it means, how it happens at the cellular level, and then actually what you can do from a lifestyle perspective to to shape the brain, to grow the brain, to have neurogenesis in the brain, and to help to build ultimately what is called 
brain resilience that you and I will talk about. But that's that's part of the evolution that continues today, doesn't it? When you look at all the businesses, all the language, all the commercials, all the marketing uh, around brain health, um, that's that's really what it's been about, is that bridging from the rodent brain research to the human brain. Well, interesting. Now, you had mentioned um, brain resilience. Do you want to go into that now, or, or do you want to wait? Yeah, to sure. So, no, no, that's fine. So um, when I talk about shaping the brain, the word that everybody probably has seen out there, and it's technically correct, it's called plasticity, which just is a is a brain that's highly dynamic and constantly reorganizing and malleable. And, and, and everybody can kind of relate to what I'm going to say right now. When you think about what I just described there with plasticity, I have three sons, and, and the oldest one is uh, 27 now, so it's not that long ago, right? And when, I, when, when my wife um, gave birth to, to him, we, we read this book by this guy named Spock that probably everybody can remember. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Spock was kind of famous, and he talked about the critical period of brain development, right? And if everybody thinks right now uh, on your show here as we're talking about this, what was the critical period of brain development? When, when was that? And in my audiences, everybody kind of gets it. They'll say something like zero to three years, zero to five years, and that's correct. And that's what Brock, mm-hmm. um, uh, Spock said. It, it, you know, so this critical period of brain development, which wasn't that long ago, we used to think was zero to kind of three, zero to five years. God only knows what happens at age six, right? It's all downhill. <laughs> but, um, you know, that turns out not to be true. So the, those those years are really, really important. But, um, you know, the other day I celebrated, um, we celebrated my mother's 94th uh, birthday. And, and fortunately, she's still doing really well. And, and I, I can promise you, she's a tough Italian lady. I can promise you uh, she would tell everybody on your, in your audience today, Lori, that 94 to 95 is a pretty important period of brain development, too. And it's one of the things to understand is the brain doesn't um, know its age. It just wants to be stimulated. And so by leading a brain health lifestyle, what happens is you can literally develop um, cells in your brain. You can increase the number of cellular connections. And, and if you can all picture in your mind right now as I'm talking, a picture of a jungle where you have all these trees that are so dense that you can really can't walk through the jungle because it's so dense, Imagine a brain that has so many cellular connections that it's so dense, it's so robust. Physically, that's the way it looks, but what conceptually, the way we describe that is brain resilience. And if you have a brain that looks like a jungle, a disease like Alzheimer's, which you can think of as a weed whacker, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be funny, but Alzheimer's basically comes into the brain and begins to weed whack all the cells, and and that's not a good thing. And so when we have brains that are set up with tremendous resilience by doing certain things across our lifespan, it's not a cure. We don't have a cure. It's not even a prevention. But what it does is brain resilience permits us to delay the onset of symptoms and signs of something like Alzheimer's. So in other words, Lori, research has showed us that even in brains at autopsy, well-diagnosed with Alzheimer's, about 20 to 30% of those brains don't manifest memory problems in life, and we, we don't know how that can be. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with what we know to be Alzheimer's. But what we think is, um, you get this from the Nunn study, for example, uh, is that when you lead a very sort of complex lifestyle and do some of the things we're going to talk about, you build up brain resilience that serves as kind of a natural defense. Again, eventually the disease may break through. But in some cases, it doesn't, even to, you know, um, end of life when a person lives a long life. Some people will come up to me and say, you know, Dr. Nussbaum, my dad was a 
physicist or he was a, an attorney or whatever, a um, you know well-known writer. Um, what are you talking about? He got Alzheimer's. Why? How can that be based on what you just said? Well, I'll ask the person, tell me about when your dad manifested the symptoms of Alzheimer's. And they'll say something like late 70s, early 80s, late 80s. And I'll say to them, well, the thing that your dad did across his lifespan um, helped him build up sufficient resilience that the symptoms of the disease didn't manifest until that age, which is relatively late. Um, if he mm-hmm. hadn't done those things, that disease was there, it would have come out much earlier. And so that's one of the powers. Brain resilience is one of the powers of having a brain that can be shaped. And by you and I talking about things that we can do, we're really building up brain resilience, okay? And that's really one of the great things that we've learned uh, because our brains have plasticity and can be shaped that we are empowered to to kind of take advantage of. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and in my opinion, um, a nation really interested in brain health, given, you know, what you know, you're an expert, what you know to be with regard to our hitting the wall all the time with um, trying to come up with a pill to fix this complicated thing. We really need to have a society, a world, a, a country that is proactive with regard to uh, living a brain health lifestyle. This stuff needs to begin um, while the baby is in the womb. It needs to be in our grade schools. It needs to be for kids across all the ages. It needs to be for teenagers. It needs to be for you know folks my age and my mother's age. And if we had a culture that was really dedicated to that, we're not going to get rid of. I'm not saying you know this is the cure all, but what I'm saying mm-hmm. is I know that we could reduce the um, uh, the morbidity and the, um, uh, the the emotional and financial cost of this disease is is causing and will continue to cause in tsunami like proportions here as we move forward. I have a question for you on that. Um, you know, my mom had dementia for 30 years. Now, she was only diagnosed for 20 because the first 10, the, the doctor kept saying it was her hormones, which she knew wasn't, and we knew it wasn't. Um, but in the in the autopsy report, you know, I talked with the doctor, and he's like, Lori, rarely do we see a brain this atrophied. And he's like, but rarely do we see somebody who has lived with the symptoms this long. And and one of my questions is, you know, my mom was always really socially engaged and, you know, always kind of challenging herself. Do you think that helped her live longer and slowed the process down? Because I see a lot of people out there now with dementia are getting um, very active in advocacy and and they're, they're kind of taking on a whole new life's purpose. And they're being challenged of, well, you must not have the disease because you haven't declined. Well, they've declined at home, but they get in these roles and, it, you know, they're, they're able to kind of fight off some of their symptoms. It seems to fend them off a little bit. And I'm wondering if, if you feel that has anything to do with that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that did help your mom. And I think that um, sometimes it, it goes the other way, too, where somebody with a whole lot of um, you know, uh, resilience can sometimes compensate um, mm-hmm. for symptoms that are there, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's uh, a good thing. But n- no, it's it's certainly it, 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 the brain. The brain is, is, is sometimes we forget the brain's not just a cognitive system, um, but doing cognitive things is really really important. But also doing social things, doing relational things, doing things that have purpose, um, doing things that are spiritual in nature, reducing stress. Um, it's a nutritional system. So all these things are really, really important. It's it's a complicated system that has to be sort of approached from a complicated approach. Um, 
in, in terms of lifestyle. Um, and so, no, th- those things clearly are uh, helpful, in my in my opinion. It's some of the things I speak to um, patients and people that call me or come to see me uh, all the time. Um, and, and uh, you know, as a basic thing, one of the, the things I've, I've grown to be more um, in tune with and more impressed by is this whole thing of stress and what it does to the system and to the body and, and to the brain. And so really trying to create lifestyles that provide us with balance um, is really important. And it's really we don't talk about it in this country in terms of the brain, but it's, it's really important for the brain as well. So I would, you know, the, the long-winded answer to your question is yes, it does help. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great. That's uh, that's what I I I was suspecting as well. And then I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. I just learned about a uh, program they're doing in Japan called Saito. Have you heard of it? Where they're teaching. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Where they're they're teaching people um, kind of in an, on an academic level. Um, and I'm going to go view it probably in May uh, and uh, check it out myself. But what what have you heard about it? I just found it kind of fascinating. No, I, I haven't. I, I, it's actually was something else I thought uh, when you said it first said it, but it's mm-hmm. not uh, what I was thinking. So I'm not I'm not real uh, up on that one, Lori. Okay. Yeah, it's it's all about teaching people and trying to um, get them to resonate with with what they once did in terms of learning fashion and stuff and kind of classroom okay. classroom style and there's there's okay. some some pretty interesting results with it and uh, okay. i know enough to be, be interested to hear what you learn yeah i know enough to be dangerous and mention it you know <laughs> but I oh. <laughs> yeah i'm but not i'm not uh, up on that one yeah, I figure everybody um, everybody can kind of check it out themselves and come to their own opinions, and I'm sure I'll have them on the radio after I after I see it in Good. action and uh, learn Good. a little bit more. Um, back to you. Can you tell our audience what are some critical factors and terms that they need to know about about brain health? Yeah, so uh, the one we've talked about is um, plasticity, which is sort of the um, the foundation. So that just basically means your brain is this dynamic system that can be shaped. Um, and from that, we've already used uh, one word, which is uh, called neurogenesis, that comes from plasticity. If a brain can be shaped, that means that one of the outcomes would be that you can develop new brain cells. And so that's called neurogenesis, the birth of new cells, neurogenesis. Another one we talked about is brain resilience. Um, which basically just means over a period of time you're doing things that affect your brain. So you're engaging in behaviors with your environment. It's a reciprocal sort of marriage, you and your environment. And you're doing it in a way that um, promotes what I always call novelty and complexity. So the new and the difficult are really good things for the brain. might not feel that way at first, but they really are because it builds up new synaptic, uh, new cellular connections we call synapse, and that then builds brain resilience. And as you and I just talked about, brain resilience helps to provide a kind of a natural defense against the onset of symptoms. It doesn't mean the disease isn't there. It just means that the symptoms may not be expressed because of the resilience that you've built up based upon what you do. So those are those are some of the um, sort of the major sort of um, technical um, vocabulary that one may see out there. Um, but but for your readers and your listeners. Um, to your show, Lori, the, the, the critical thing that, that kind of I want to impart with everybody today is that 
we have this great opportunity that we actually can affect the physiological, the physical, the structural, and the functional aspects of our of our brain. And that that's um that's new stuff. I mean, that's that's that wasn't you know just remember what we talked about with Spock here a little bit earlier. That wasn't you know 20 years ago. We didn't think that that could be so. So, um, and it doesn't matter what age you are. It's never too late. It's never too early. Um, it's just a matter of kind of stimulating the brain in novel and complicated ways and in relational and social and spiritual ways that uh, can benefit it and help build brain resilience. And all that goes into the ultimate outcome, which is called brain health. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, well, I appreciate you defining each of those one more time for us. And um, now the brain health lifestyle what what does that incorporate? How much time is it going to take? How much money is it going to cost us? I know that's what's on everybody's mind. Um, or is this stuff that we can just really implement within, you know, within our structure that isn't near as complicated or as heavy weighted as a lot of us think it is? Yeah, those are good questions. So. Um... The, the one thing for everybody to understand out there, particularly in the United States of America, we tend to be a highly invasive, highly um, technical, highly mechanical sort of uh, um, country, and you know we think the more the better, and, and um, the more invasive the better, and that that turns out not to necessarily be true. And what we've learned over time, and it still is very very true, is that lifestyle is the number one thing that we can change to literally reduce. Um, Time of death, and there's uh-huh. really no pill that does that that does that for us. So we we tend to minimize it in our country. It tends not to be quick and you know quick fix uh, that sometimes mm-hmm. we search for. But um, it's kind of more of the marathon that it guarantees you a positive outcome every time. And that's mm-hmm. also true for the brain. And you know there's a number of different lifestyles out there that everybody can Google, and you know eventually you'll get to me out there. But there's a lot of them. Um, each of them have a different sort of may tweak it one way or the other, and you got to be careful you don't run into just a fancy marketing uh, scheme. I can tell you that I've spent a lot of time researching uh, lifestyle and its impact on the brain. Again, I went back to the to the road model and, and, and kind of built my my approach, which is a five-pillar uh, approach, Lori. Um, and these mm-hmm. are not anything that's uh, it's not new. Grandma taught us all this, but she, she didn't teach us that it would impact the brain. So these are in no special order, but the five really um, are – uh, first of all, mental stimulation. And why is that? Because the brain is a cognitive system and it, it wants to do things that are novel and complex. It, it, the things that are rote and passive are not going to be as good for the brain as something that's novel and complex. And in fact, in my talks, I show people literally in the you know what structures in the brain we use when we do things that are sort of habitual or rote and passive and Mm-hmm. And then things that are novel, complex. And trust me when I tell you, everybody, that you're going to use the most important parts of your brain when you're doing things that are novel and complex. So mental stimulation is very, very important. Um, physical activity is critically important. Most people probably have heard that exercise helps to reduce depression. It helps to uh, actually even reduce the risk of dementia. Um, and one of the reasons for that is, and a lot of people don't know this, is that every time your heart beats, 25% of the blood goes right to the brain. So even though your brain only weighs three pounds, it gets 25% of the of the blood. Now, anybody running a company out there, if I were to tell you that you're going to get 25% of the market, you'd say that's a really good thing. So 
Um, that's why we got to be physically active. And sedentary behavior, Dr. Nussbaum sitting at his desk today is not going to be very good for Dr. Nussbaum's brain. So we got to get up and we got to move and think about this from a policy perspective. I've advocated, for example, having stationary bikes in classrooms rather than kids sitting all day. And, and it's mm-hmm. just little things like that that we have to pay attention to because we're interested in brain health. So moving and, and, and always moving and dance and aerobic exercise and walking and all these kinds of things are really, really good for the brain. Spirituality is very, very important. And by that, I mean reduction in uh, in, in stress. When, we, when we're under particularly chronic stress, um, you and I were talking about hormones a little while ago. Um, one of the hormones that gets uh, propagated in the, in the body uh, and the brain is called cortisol. And that does structural damage to that piece of the anatomy I told you about earlier, which is the hippocampus. And, and that's why people with chronic stress, PTSD, um, victims of trauma, abuse, uh, veterans with PTSD, they have memory problems. That's why it is. Interestingly, I get a lot of 50-year-olds who come into my office who think they have Alzheimer's disease, and they don't. They're just basically stressed out of their minds. They have no balance. And, and they're having they're, they're literally not remembering quite as well because of it. So the, the cure there is to get them back into balance. And and we can do that through uh, learning how to breathe and, and to literally pray on a daily basis and to meditate and, and you know, a big advocate for, for yoga and exercise and those kinds of things, getting us back into balance. Um, certainly nutrition, uh, there's a whole field called nutritional neurosciences, which is the fourth pillar of the brain health lifestyle pie. Um, and, and the reason that's important is because your brain is 60% fat, 6 zero. It's mm-hmm. the fattest part of you, and it's the fattest part of me. A lot of people don't know that. And that fat insulates the nerve tracts. It helps to propel information more rapidly. Without that fat, sometimes called the myelin sheath, we would slow down in our thinking process. And so we want to build up. We want to eat good fats. We want to eat the proper fats. We want to eat proper foods. We want to stay away from processed foods. And there is there's more and more research on the Mediterranean diet, for example, has been shown to be good for, for the brain. And then finally, you and I were talking a little bit about this earlier, just socialization. We we know there's, and you know this, there's good research that shows that particularly older brains um, that isolate um, tend to have a higher risk of dementia. And, um, and, and it's interesting because this goes back to the novel and complex story we've talked about, um, which is a brain that isolates will do isolating type activities. And we want to be engaged with others because when we do that, we communicate more, we learn more, we tell stories more, we learn new information from one another. And there's also a chemical sort of um, response in marriage between humans that can be powerful. Uh, We're a gregarious species. We're not supposed to be alone. So um, those kinds of things become very, very important as we work with um, loved ones and older ones who um, may uh, be isolating in their room or not getting out to their activities like they used to, that that does have a negative impact on the brain. So when you think about that, that's a sort of five buckets, uh, five pillars of the brain health lifestyle, physical activity, mental stimulation, uh, socialization, nutrition, and spirituality. And when you put those together, you can sit back and think to yourself, where am I strong here? Where am I not so strong? Where can I make some baby step changes? And because it's a marathon, it doesn't cost any money, Lori. Um, mm-hmm. there, there, you don't go buy this at, at the local grocery store or the Walmart or the you know, Costco or wherever it is out there. You just don't, you know, it's not on Amazon.com. It's, yep. you just have to think, think to yourself about, you know, where am I? What do I need to change? What are some things I can do to, um, you know, to increase a, a healthier, um, 
level of exercise, uh, reduce my stress? How do I relate more to other people? How do I do things that are a bit more novel and complex? Have I gotten into a rut where I'm doing the same thing all the time over and over? Do I need to make some changes? And and, and people come up to me and say, which one's most important? And, and the quick answer to that one is um, it's varies by person because everybody's going to have a different strength or a different weakness. And what we want to do is get get some changes made in those areas of the brain health lifestyle that, that are weak uh, in baby step fashion, uh, fashion, just making some positive changes that, that to help. And that's kind of the cool thing about it. Um, and when you do it as a family, it can be really cool. And, and what I have found in my work across, literally across the world is Kids love this, particularly when they see their heroes, their parents, their older brothers and sisters, their aunts and uncles doing this. Kids will want to do it, too. Um, and that's the way the culture begins to shape uh, and get changed. So it, it, it doesn't cost anything, but the benefit is enormous. Yeah, I, I know for myself, I have really gotten in a rut with sitting behind my computer. So we had a big snowstorm here, so it's like, that's it, I'm changing my office around, I'm going to get my high-top table back out so I can stand up and set it to sitting down, so I can, I mean, just even moving and stretching while I'm working, right. it's, I mean, it's, yep. I, I, it's like, I feel like I've lost all muscle mass, you know, and I'm not even 60 yet, I'm going to be 59 this June, and it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and, and the nutrition, too, you know, when I'm traveling a lot, you know, you just kind of grab something here, and it's like, I have got, it's to hard, do yeah. got to do better. And the, the mental sti- stimulation, I think sometimes it's a reframing things too. Like we were talking offline, my computer crashed and I did not appreciate having to learn two new editing programs all over because that oh, challenged boy. me. But yet, yeah, you know, it's not easy. Had, you know, but yet, you know, I'm a better person for it. It'll be, it, it, everything will be better in the long run. You know, it's just, right. It's you did just it. Getting, yeah. It's getting well. I'm I, and still doing it. You know, and if if yeah. if you approach life as you're always learning, and um and that's pretty much how I have it. It makes it a little bit easier to do. As yeah, well. good for you. That's right. Now that's I, right. I've heard I've heard a lot too. Um, just recently, probably in the last so six months to the year, there's been a lot more talk about uh, sleep too in terms of um, being part of a healthy lifestyle. What's your your thought about sleep patterns and need for sleep? Yeah, so sleep is, is critical, and I, I put it within my uh, within each of the slices of the brain health pie that I have. There are specific research-based activities that one could do. Sleep would fall within the um, spirituality uh, set for me because it, it's about, um, you know, balance and about reducing stress. So when we sleep, and we sleep well, we we literally have a very active time for the brain. It's uh, regenerative. It's restorative. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really, it, it does more than that. Uh, so, for example, um, people laugh at this, but research indicates that, you know, you try to sleep on your side more uh, than not. And because what happens is um, it, it appears that we have within our um, brain um, the buildup of toxins that need to be uh, cleansed out through systems in the brain that permit that cleansing, and it occurs during sleep. So, um, and it's those toxins that help to build up a plaque over time, the same plaque that's in the brains of Alzheimer's. So, researchers are finding that people with, um, you know, better sleep cycles, deeper sleep, um, tend to remove those toxins, those kinds of proteins that can build up in our brain more efficiently than if we don't sleep on our side. Um, and so just little practical tips like that help to cleanse the brain and keep it free of these toxins. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly more sleep is, is uh, in deeper sleep helps us to uh, encode information that we learn during the day. So it's an active time for memory processing. It's actually called memory consolidation, making what you learn during the day more deeply encoded into the brain. So, you know, and, and it's restorative throughout the entire body. It, uh, people that sleep more tend to have um, lower risk of um, uh, obesity, for example. So there's just all kinds of things that happen hormonally and uh, through a cleansing process in the brain during sleep that are, that are incredibly valuable. So sleep behavior is very, very important. Um, there's about 35 million Americans with sleep disorder, so it's a, it's a big issue out there, and it has uh, all kind of ramifications for the health of us. Yeah, I was I was up late, couldn't sleep one night watching I don't know just yappy TV, and there was somebody on there talking about um, how how we as a society, you know, hit that ten minute, fifteen minute pause, and that is like one of the worst things we can do. And I I've kind of been watching myself when I do that. I do I do get up more tired than if I would have just got up. You know, right. and, and, and they had some whole scientific, you know, thing about it, which I didn't I didn't grab hold of. I just I just remember that that was not healthy for us and it really wasn't doing us any favors. Right, in, right, in, right. In and, the, long know, run. the cool thing about this is if we eat a bit healthier, all of us, starting with me, and if we exercise a bit more. And we do work on our brain um, a bit more in terms of the novel and the complex. It, the sleep will, will come right along with that. So you'll sleep, you'll actually see changes, positive changes for sleep. And, you know, when you obviously one of the big things that we have in terms of um, keeping all of us up at night is rumination, right? So we, it, mm-hmm. the, the pillow in the bed, for some reason, has become the uh, epicenter for solving the world's problems for the United States of America. So those of us who live here. So, you know, it's it's not the best place for us to kind of try to solve all the world's problems. So when we generate the opportunity for our brain to be more balanced, we won't be as anxious at night when we go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in just that whole, I mean, for me, like I, I'm bad. I have my phone right by my bedside, which they say you shouldn't do. Um, but a friend right. of mine said, well, you know, put the yellow screen on. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, go to your settings. There's a there's a thing for the yellow screen. And so at 9 o'clock at night, I set it for that till morning. And it it, it does help. You know, it's not as Good. great if I am, am looking at it. And I, you know, some days I'm better than not staying off it. And other days I'm, I'm just bad. <laughs> no, right, but, right. But no, that's right. But, but the first step is being conscious of it. And, um, right, uh, that's you know, right. That's exactly right. And having having a conversation not only with yourself but with with others, kind of coming out of the closet with with this stuff. Yep. Now you do um, you also have um, other services besides you know your at your brain health center. You know um, you also do a lot of keynotes and consulting. Is that correct? I do. So um, I've been fortunate to be. Um sort of the face and the personality of a number of larger organizations uh, inside and outside of uh, healthcare um, for brain health. So, so you and I were talking earlier about uh, the evolution of brain health has found its way into, um, you know, the education world, the business world. Um, you know, I did some work with MetLife. I, I've done work with um, a lot of schools across the country. Uh, the largest audience I was ever in front of was 15,000 children, which was kind of cool, talking about the things we're talking about right now. And that's taught me that kids are really, you know, into this. They'll, they'll get it. They'll listen, and then they'll try to, you know, do some really neat things at their school, like have science fairs and, you know, brain health days at their school. And, and so it's it, that's really um, been cool to watch. Um, 
and then certainly within senior care. Um, you know, I was uh, fortunate to be the uh, national director of brain health for emeritus that was bought by Brookdale and then served for a little while at uh, Brookdale as a national director of uh, brain health and um, recently now working as a clinical director for uh, Wellcore, which is a company uh, that's a national company that's uh, bringing comprehensive psychological services to uh, older adults living in senior care. And then I know, Lori, you've uh, made friends with the folks at um, the RC21X, which is a, a, a digital company that um, helps the consumer sort of monitor their cognitive and motor functions using an app called Roberto, which is pretty neat. And that, again, you and I talked about evolution. Look at how brain health has made its way into the, the digital world. I, I co-founded another company called FitBrains that Rosetta Stone bought. And this, these are all just tools and ways that the consumer can do the novel and complex. So um, I tend to stay pretty busy, um, similar to you, Lori. Um, but, uh, you know, the bottom line is trying to do what? It's trying to do something very basic, which is to ed educate everybody who wants to listen about the miracle that sits between their ears and then helping people understand the practical steps they can take to shape the miracle, their human brain, for health all across the lifespan. And why do we want to do that? Because we want to build brain resilience. And, and what does that permit us? For me, the bottom line is it permits us access to our life story. And that's that's the thing we don't want to lose is access to our life story. And if I'm, I, me personally, if I'm going to lose access to my life story because of something like Alzheimer's, I want to try to do what I can do to push that time off as long as I can. Um, and so empowering people through education and through resources and through motivation and building self-esteem around doing some of these things to make all of us you know, feel better when we change our lifestyle is, I think, incredibly important. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was just uh, popping around on your, on your website, and he's got just some great documents um, and information on here. And one of the things that I didn't mention, um, but that I think is really important is Dr. Nesbaum is, is one of only 53 board certified Jerry, uh, psychologists. I mean, that, that number is, it amazes me because the need is so high. Our populations are aging at just a, a rapid rate that we've known is going to happen all along and yet there's only 53 of you. That just shocks me. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> there may be a little bit more since <clears throat> I put it up there, but it's 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 actually, um, I say that not to sort of beat my chest, but to actually sort of underscore how sad it is. Um, it's wonderful to be only one of whatever, less than 100, but it's also sad. And, and we have the same, you know this, Laurie, we also have the same problem with geriatricians. We just don't have enough. And mm -hmm. You know, think 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 culturally for a minute. You know, uh, in Pittsburgh, and I I think you told me you're in, you're from Minnesota. It's a great medical town. Yep. Um, you know, think everybody out there, wherever you are listening to this show, think for a second. Do you have a children's hospital in your city? And I hope you mm -hmm. do. We have a great one here. Now, do you have a whatever you want to call it, a, an older adult hospital? Well, you don't, and I don't either. And and there's. You know, why can a pediatrician be a primary care physician, but a geriatrician can't? Mm -hmm. um, there's just little things that our society sort of does behaviorally that says we don't value the older adult as much as we need to. Um, mm -hmm. And you're right, uh, 
Lori can cite uh, for everybody listening. Lori can cite the statistics on this. That you know the number of older adults that we have defined as over 65, which may not even be valid, but mm-hmm. let's use that as a cutoff. 65 and over is growing faster than any really any other part of our um, age cohort uh, in the country. And. Mm-hmm both in terms of uh, folks that are living long and healthy and also in terms of people that may be suffering disease, such as Alzheimer's. Those numbers are going through the roof, and we really have to change quickly in this country in our mindset and our approach, our respect, create resources and facilities and incentivize the young, smart people out there uh, to get into fields to take care and to help and to build uh, uh, new things and new ways of, 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 of helping and living as we get older. But until we do that, we're going to continue to have the issue in 2018 that we only you know, have 60 or so board-certified geropsychologists and geriatricians are just nowhere to be found. Geriatric psychiatrists are nowhere to be found, um, on and on and on. So this, this is something, you know, hopefully the tsunami of older individuals are going to change at the policy level, but it's something that really needs to be addressed. And we need to kind of wake up, uh, our leaders need to wake up a bit and, get this moving forward, I tend to think it'd be more of a grassroots effort that'll get this changed, though. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. We were talking, again, offline about the, the lack of Jerry Psych units out there and the, mm-hmm. the demand for them and the ripple effect of, of the, the health care costs is mm-hmm. phenomenal because it's not just that person. It's, it's their family. The stress levels go through the roof, which you know, trigger other health issues. I mean, it's just, it's not a good situation. And it's not, it's not right. healthy and it's not respectful um, to anybody right. involved. And so, you know, this is something that needs um, greater attention. And, um, you know, and, and we're getting a lot more attention than what we were in terms of dementia as a whole. But, you know, we're we're just at the baby steps, really, even though we've seen huge strides in the last five years compared to, you know, the prior years, um, we weren't, we weren't moving at all. There's still so much to do and so many unmet needs out there and, um, and so many things to explore. Cause again, like right. you said, we don't, we don't know what causes it, you know? So if you don't know what causes it, you can't, you can't really get a cure for it. Um, right. and, and the therapies we're trying, you know, everything is pretty much experimental and needs to be evaluated. And we're starting to create, um, some, I think, some great wealth in terms of, in terms of therapies and what's working and what's not. One, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I forgot way back when, but I guess I'm going to back up a second. You had mentioned the NUN study, and not everybody in our audience yeah. knows about the NUN study. Can you just highlight that briefly? We've got about 10 minutes here left. Yeah, so there was a, a, a scholar by the name of Davis Noden. He's a Ph.D., and he did some work on uh, looking at um, the brains of nuns, but um, literally nuns. Um, and and uh, he he um, it's an interesting way to do it because it's a cohort that's you, you have controls right so they all live together they they don't get married they don't have babies they eat the same things they kind of engage in the same daily routine so it's a very controlled sample and so he followed their lifestyle and he gave them sort of psychological tests and personality tests over time and then uh, when they died a number of these nuns donated their brains and so he had the um, uh, autopsy. Uh, measures of uh, uh, plaques and tangles and those kinds of things. And he found some really interesting things. Number one, nuns tend not to get Alzheimer's disease at the same rate, so they get Alzheimer's less than 
females who are not nuns in the general population. And mm-hmm. uh, he was finding some uh, things such as uh, level of language sophistication early in life, uh, reduce the, um, the the overall amount of plaques um, and tangles in the brain. And so this was at about the age of 18 because these nuns kept diaries. And so he had ways of measuring, for example, the number of ideas in each sentence. And that correlated very strongly, predicted the number of plaques and tangles at, the, 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 at autopsy. So something like language development, we don't think of as a brain health promoting exercise the way we need to. Um, and there's some other interesting corollary studies in terms of number of languages tend to reduce the risk of dementia um, that fits into that. The other thing he found was, which I thought was interesting on the personality profiles, the nuns that were more passionate tended to live longer. So mm-hmm. there was a way to measure sort of passion. Um, but that's known as the nun study, and it was one of the early um, studies that went after this idea of brain resilience and the idea of life, that things in from a lifestyle perspective have have real meaning. And nuns tend to stay not just busy, but busy in very complicated pursuits. Um, and so that and a number of other things really taught us that, you know, what we do early in life can be very, very powerful to what our brain looks like later in life. Uh, and that uh, a lot of times it has to do with things that like learning and, and, and lifestyle kinds of behaviors and socialization and those kinds of things that we never thought of as being very, very important from a physical perspective on the structure and function of the brain. But that's the nun study. You can literally, your, your listeners can literally look it up. Um, uh, there's a wonderful book called Aging with Grace uh, by Snowden that I have in my office, and it goes over, you know, aspects of that study. Okay, great. Um, what would you like, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about their brains and brain health? Any, any last minute tips or comments for them? No, I would, I would encourage, um, everybody to, to think about what we, what we talked about today, to, to spend some time getting to know about this part of your body, even though, as Lori indicated, our, you know, our culture and, and by history, we haven't spent a lot of time uh, on the brain. Sometimes we think it's too complicated, but it really is, it, it's, a, it's an exploration of oneself. And there can be no greater um, worthwhile endeavor than to learn about oneself. Um, and so, you know, there's a number of um, different ways to do that. Certainly at my, my website, which is brainhealthctr.com, there's a lot of free information there. There's some illustrations and graphs and things that you can look at in terms of the, the kinds of structures and what they're responsible for, and there's some articles there. And basically the idea is just to get people educated uh, on this structure, how it works, what brain health is all about, and then really kind of trying to lead this lifestyle that we talked about. And again, everybody, think about it in terms of you wanting to maintain access to your life story to share with your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids one day. So that's the incentive. There there can be no more important thing than that. Mm-hmm. Agree, agree. Well, people can reach you um, at your website, which is Brain Health. CTR.com for center, brainhealthctr.com, or they can email you at drnuss for Dr. Nuss um, at me.com, drnuss at me.com. And then you also have a Twitter handle, which is the same as your website, Brain Health. CTR, Brain Health CTR, if you are interested in getting more information. And did you want to give a phone number out too? Or? 
Sure. Yeah, my like... center is seven. Yeah, seven two four seven one nine two eight three three. And I get about okay. across the nation. So um, if there's uh, an inquiry uh, or a question, uh, people can call. Okay, great. So that's seven two four seven one nine. Two eight three three. Well, again, I thank Correct. you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all your insights, and and um, hopefully your listeners will join me in trying to be a little more active in a brain health lifestyle. I know that's uh, something that I'm formally committed to now. So we shall see how I do. But I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm on the right path. I I, uh, I think I hit my pain point today. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah. and it's, it's time to make time to make a change. Um, in wrapping up, I also just want to um, give a shout out to Calendar Cards, who has a wonderful memory system that helps people manage their days, and they also host the Memory Cafe directory, um, which is wonderful. And you can just go to memorycafedirectory.com to uh, find out about all the uh, cafes. Um, We're pushing 500 of them now in the U.S. and then also get access to calendar cards as well. If you have um, maybe a loved one or a client who you're worried about wandering away, you might want to check out the Call Alert Center. Again, if you go to my homepage at alzheimerspeaks.com, you will see a banner for them and you'll be able to get a 20% discount. And it's It's actually a very minor fee. It's under like $15 a year um, just to be prepared just in case uh, something would happen because we never never know when something like that could hit. And um, in the meantime, everybody stay safe. I know we're having some wacky weather out there, but spring spring is coming. I'm a believer. (laughs) So um, stay safe. And again, thank you so much, Dr. Nussbaum, for being with us. Appreciate your time. Till next time. Thanks, Lori. Talk, talk bye soon. Bye bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great quick motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.